Hello and happy holidays. My name is Brian DiNovellis. Welcome to another episode of the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. How was your Christmas, everyone? Hope it was merry and bright. Hope your Hanukkah is happy and joyous. Can't say the same thing for St. John's and Seton Hall, however. Lots and lots to unwrap there. Could there be a wider gap right now between UConn and Seton Hall and St. John's? Is there a wider distance between stores and Queens and stores and South Orange? Because that's how much of a disparity there is right now between these college basketball teams and these programs. UConn is ascending and rising in the college basketball world once again. Meanwhile, St. John's and Seton Hall are just trending to the bottom of the Big East Conference with Georgetown and DePaul. That is where Seton Hall and St. John's are as we bring 2022 to a close. That's where we stand, December 29th. So before we get to the bottom, why not start at the top? Because UConn is right there, front and center, not only at the top of the Big East, but at the top of the college basketball world, along with Purdue and Houston and teams like that. We've said it all along since the preseason here on the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. This team is big. They are talented. They are deep. They are athletic. They're smart. They're fast. They're fun. They're well-coached. They're confident. They are battle-tested. And boy, are they confident. Just ask Jordan Hawkins. He lit up Villanova for 22 points in that 74-66 win at the XL Center. Hawkins said afterward, and I'm quoting here, I still feel like we have more to prove. I feel like we haven't played a complete 40-minute game yet. So we have a lot more to prove. And then, and here's the kicker, because this is what it's like to put on a UConn uniform in 2022. This is Jordan Hawkins, a sophomore. We're UConn. We always have a target on our back. It's the history we've had. We always knew we had a target on our back, and we enjoy it. This team says, bring it on. And they get that from their head coach. Dan Hurley has emotion. He has fire. He's a defensive first guy. Listen to his quotes after the game against Villanova. They asked him if, if there's pressure that the team has started 14-0. And he said pressure is being 6-8. and eight. There's no pressure on us. We're good. We've got a good team. We won our first 14. We've got a lot of confidence in what we do. This team's playing with a chip on its shoulders. Hurley pointed out where they were picked in the preseason poll, where they were picked in the coaches poll, the preseason top 25 rankings. These guys know, Hurley knows, they walk by it all the way. There's motivation throughout that locker room, throughout that building. And the fact that this team wasn't even ranked in the preseason top 25 is laughable. There were some writers out there who ranked them in the top 25. David Borges from the New Haven Register was one of them. 
I don't have a vote, but I said it in my first podcast of the season back in October and early November, and I said, UConn will be ranked within one week. They started out 2-0. They entered the poll. They've risen ever since. They haven't left, and now they're number two. Are they perfect? No. But they are 14-0 for just the third time in their program history. The only teams that have had better starts in the history of UConn basketball, 1994-95, that team started 15-0, and the 98-99 team that started 19-0. Last night was the first time all season that UConn won by less than double digits. Think about that. Alabama, Oregon, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, Villanova. That's the first team that has lost to UConn by less than 10 points. This is the Big East Conference. Is it the best conference in the country? No. But it's still one of the premier conferences in the country. And night in and night out, you better bring it. I don't care if you're playing DePaul. I don't care if you're playing Georgetown, Seton Hall, St. John's, whomever you're playing, you better bring it at home and on the road. Look at UConn's first two games in Big East play. They have trailed in the second half of both games, and they've been at home. They trailed against Georgetown by seven with 11 minutes to play before it wasn't Adama Sonogo, it wasn't Jordan Hawkins, it wasn't Andre Jackson, but it was Joey Calcaterra and Hassan Diera who went on a run and blew the roof off of Gamble Pavilion when UConn took control of that game with under 10 minutes to play against Georgetown, a team that had lost 21 straight Big East games. So don't tell me that top to bottom, the Big East Conference is not the toughest conference in the country because top to bottom it is. These teams on any given night can win, even against a team like UConn. Villanova is still trying to find itself. Cam Whitmore, a five-star recruit, the preseason national freshman of the year, destined to be the first one-and-done player at Villanova since Tim Thomas, has barely played, what, a handful of college games? He's still getting his legs under him. And Villanova's still without Justin Moore. So they're still rounding into shape. But this Villanova team, they may not be the Villanova team of last year, but this team is getting better and better and better. And by March, you won't want to play them. UConn had their hands full with three minutes to go. Villanova had the ball down two with three minutes to play. And then came the biggest plays in the game. Adama Sonogo hits the reverse layup. UConn up four. Villanova with the ball. And Hassan Diara picks up one of the biggest plays in the game with a charge. UConn fans are ignited. 
Then at the other end, Andre Jackson, who was one for five from three. Villanova was daring Andre Jackson to shoot all night. He had one open look from three after another. Most of them clanged. He was one for five, left wide open in the corner as Villanova doubled Sinogo down low. Alex Caravan zipped a cross-court pass to Jackson in the corner. He swished a three. The XL center went bananas. UConn up seven. Game over. This team has been tested in its first two games at home. We are two games into the Big East season. 20 games. They're not going undefeated. Okay? Let's get that out there. If UConn goes undefeated in Big East play, it would be one of the most amazing accomplishments in college basketball history. That's not an overstatement. No team is going 20-0. And if they do, then it would be one of the greatest teams of all time. Up there with the 76 Indiana Hoosiers, up there with any of the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or Bill Walton-led UCLA teams. That's how big of a feat it would be to go undefeated in Big East play. It just doesn't happen anymore. I did predict they would go 17-3, and which unto itself is pretty amazing if you think about it. All right, that's my prediction. I'm holding to it. But this team continues to pass their tests, okay? They're winning. They're being tested, but they're winning. Why? Because of their depth. This team can bring guys off the bench, even when Adama Sonogo is not at his best. All right, Villanova double teaming him, holding him to seven points and one rebound. Adama Sonogo, the best center in the Big East, think about that, held to one rebound? That's a pretty damn good job by Kyle Neptune and that Villanova team. Dixon was a handful. He was at the forefront, boxing out guys left and right because Villanova is so fundamentally sound. So Sonogo having one of his worst games of the season, just the second time he was held under 10 points. The other game was Iowa State when he had four points. When he's not doing it, you have a supporting cast that picks it up. It can be Joey Calcaterra. It can be Hassan Diara. It could be Alex Caravan. Any one of those players. Caravan was brilliant. 15 points, three for seven from deep. The poise of a senior. Donovan Klingen struggled in the first half. Missed a lot of bunnies underneath. And then comes up with six points in the second half. Diara had six points and four steals all in the second half. Those players came off the bench. Any one of these guys can do it because Hurley has masterfully retooled this roster. I mean, this is a team. Think about this. Think about what they lost. RJ Cole, Tyrese Martin, Isaiah Whaley, Tyler Polly, Jalen Gaffney, and Rasul Diggins. And Hurley replaced them through the transfer portal with Tristan Newton, Hassan Diara, Naheem Aline, 
and Joey Calcaterra, and he sprinkled in two top 100 freshmen in Caravan and Klingon, who right now, I mean, how can you pick one over the other for Big East freshman of the, freshman of the year? We might be looking at co-Big East freshman of the year with Klingon and Caravan. How do you choose between them? That's how good they're playing. And Hurley has put himself in conversation for national coach of the year halfway through the college basketball season. He and Matt Painter from Purdue right now at the end of 2022 are the leading candidates for national coaches of the year. Neither one of those teams were ranked in the preseason top 25. Now, a lot of basketball to be played, but that's how well Hurley and Painter have coached this year. This UConn team has dudes at every position. And they keep rolling them off the bench and they don't lose production. Hurley mixes and matches them. Even when Adama Sonogo is in foul trouble, there's no let up in this team because Klingon comes in and can be MVP of the Phil Knight Classic. Their game against Xavier is going to be one of the most important, if not the best game in the Big East this year. With Creighton still trying to figure out who they are. With Villanova still putting the pieces together. With Providence overachieving and rising. With Marquette overachieving and rising. And Shaka Smart having them playing at a high level. All those teams are very good. But right now, at this moment, Xavier is the second best team in the Big East. That's clear. And this game against UConn is going to be must-see TV on New Year's Eve. 10,000 fans at the Cintas Center. Xavier provides one of the biggest challenges for UConn this season. And to date, other than Alabama, Xavier is the best team that UConn has faced. And it's a true road game, not in front of 1,500 fans in Oregon. All right, maybe 3,000 fans. This is a true road game in the Big East at a rowdy Cintas Center at Xavier. And if you haven't seen Xavier, this team is talented, they're big, Oh, by the way, don't forget, they went all the way to the finals of the NIT and won the NIT last year. So they're battle-tested. And Sean Miller has them playing excellent basketball. Jack Nungy and Zach Fremantle might be the best one-two punch in the front court in the Big East. I said it. Fremantle is not playing like he did last year. He's playing like he did his sophomore year. He's averaging 14 points, seven and a half rebounds, three assists a game. Jack Nungy is one of the most versatile centers in the Big East who hits threes. He hit two of them against St. John's, okay? He's not somebody who, oh, by the way, might be able to hit a three. No, he hits threes, and he can take it inside. He averages 15 and eight. So between them, 
They're averaging 29 points, 15 and a half rebounds, and four assists a game. I mean, they lit up St. John's for 37 and 21. Then they throw in Sule Boom, one of the best transfers from UTEP, leading the team at 17 points a game. Colby Jones averages 14. Adam Kunkel averaging 10 points a game. Xavier averages five starters in double figures. How many teams in the country can boast that? Five starters in double figures. This team scores like very few teams in the country. Gonzaga-like. They lead the Big East in points per game at 82.9. They lead the Big East in three-point field goal percentage, assists, and field goal percentage. And who do you think is right behind them? That's right. U-C-O-N-N, UConn. UConn is second in the Big East at 82.9 points per game. They're first in three-point field goals made. They make over nine and a half threes a game. And defensively, UConn's even better because Xavier might lead the Big East in many offensive categories. UConn leads the Big East in many defensive categories like points allowed. They only allow 58 points per game and field goal defense at 38%. To me, anytime a team allows under 40% from the floor. That is a dominating defensive team. This is going to be a great test for both teams. UConn, if they win this game, will separate themselves even more from the pack. But if Xavier wins this game, they will inch a little closer, secure themselves as the clear number two team in the Big East and show what they're made of. We already know that they've been battle-tested because this is a team that has played a grueling non-conference schedule. And Xavier's a team that they have losses on their resume, like Gonzaga, a close game, like Indiana, a close game. So they're not going to fear anybody. And if anybody, any coach out there wants a challenge, it's Sean Miller. Now, listen, I'm not even going to get into what happened at Arizona. I mean, to me, Sean Miller came to Xavier with blood on his hands and the mess he left behind at Arizona and others to pay the price for him. But this guy can coach, and there is no denying that he and Dan Hurley are both excellent coaches, excellent at X's and O's, excellent at motivating their players and molding the talent they have on their roster. Did you watch the, the game with St. John's? I loved what Fox did. Miking up both coaches. Sean Miller saying things like, dribble with a purpose. The ball has to have energy. What is he saying? He's saying he doesn't want one-on-one -on -one iso ball. He's saying if you're going to dribble, go somewhere get to a point, shoot or pass, move the ball. The ball has to have energy. Do you think his practices are up-tempo? Because his huddles were up-tempo and everything he said was calculated. It was teaching. It was coaching. Meanwhile, Anderson's saying things at halftime like, 
Sule Boom had played 20 minutes at a high pace. Guys, no way can he keep it up in the second half. Really? You'd think he would have been talking about defensive adjustments. You'd think he would have been talking about how to slow them down. Maybe double teaming Nunji. Maybe picking up more of a full court press. Instead, he was talking about Sule Boom and what he was doing playing for 20 minutes. No way can he keep it up. I checked the box score. He didn't play 20 minutes. He didn't play 30 minutes. He played all 40 minutes. He had 17 points, six rebounds, six assists, only two turnovers against St. John's pressure defense that thrives at turnovers. Six assists, two turnovers, two steals, and managed to hit all eight of his free throws. So you tell me if he couldn't keep up his pace in the second half. Where were the adjustments, Mike Anderson? Where was the urgency of your team? A team that still hasn't had a signature win. A team that is 0-3 now against quad one and quad two opponents. A team that has beaten up every cupcake on its schedule. And any team, any quality team that St. John's has faced this year, which aren't many. I mean, I can count them all on three fingers. If you want to throw Villanova in there as a quality team. Iowa State, and now Xavier. St. John's was behind in double digits to all three of those teams. Xavier went on a 16-0 run in the first half. They went up 27-12. The pace was frantic. It didn't favor St. John's. It favored Xavier. That game was played at a... Golden State Warriors pace in the first five and a half minutes of that game. Xavier scored 27 points on St. John's home court. That crowd in Carneseca Arena was shocked. They were quiet most of that game until there were maybe five or six minutes left in that game. Four minutes left in that game. That's when you started to hear them. But it was too late. St. John's didn't start playing in that game until they were down 18 with nine and a half minutes to go. Yes, they cut it to six. Yes, they had Xavier on its heels. Yes, the crowd was into it. But where was that energy? Where was that franticness? Where was that pressure defense? Where was that urgency at the tip of this game? When Xavier took control and not St. John's. Xavier held off the Johnnies in this game. They had built a nearly insurmountable lead and what turned out to be an insurmountable lead and held on at the end because St. John's decided to play for about seven minutes. That's as close as they got, six points. David Jones did what David Jones does. He scored 19. Montez Mathis had a nice game with 14. Joel Soriano came on late in that game because, let's face it, Nunji and Fremantle and company and Hunter kept him under wraps for most of that game. Where were the guards? Where was Posh? Where was Curbelo? Posh Alexander 
where has he been all season long? Predicted second team Big East conference in the preseason. Posh had 11 points, shot 5 of 14 from the field. Andre Cabello, 4 points, shot 2 of 9. Combined as a backcourt, Curbelo and Alexander shot 7 for 23. That can't happen. Where has Posh been all season? These are his averages. 9.6 points, 4.6 assists, shooting 36% from the field and 15% from three. All we heard all summer about Posh Alexander was how he was working on his three-point shot. He would improve on it. He was going to be a better three-point shooter this year. He was going to be a better shooter. His numbers are all career lows. The junior year is where he should be shining and having career highs. Instead, it's the opposite. What has happened to Posh? Where has he gone? Why are his numbers getting worse? I don't know. Is it confidence? Is it the fact that Corbello has come in and he's still trying to find a way to fit in? I don't buy that. I don't buy any of it. I, I just I just wonder what he's putting into practice and why it's not translating into games either way. St. John's needs Posh Alexander to be Posh Alexander. They need all of those starters and those parts to fit in. Dylan Adewusu added in there. St. John's is a victim of its own schedule and the fact that they have not had one quality win. I said it before, 0-3 versus quad one and quad twos, 0-2 on the road, zero quality wins as of December 29th. And look, Seton Hall isn't much better. Their net is 93. St. John's is 96th. But at least Seton Hall does have two quad one wins, if you can believe it, over Rutgers and Memphis. Now, if St. John's can beat Seton Hall at the Prudential Center on New Year's Eve, that would be their first road win of the season. It would not qualify as a quad one. However, it would qualify as a quad two road win. So St. John's desperately needs that. But Seton Hall desperately needs this win too, because otherwise they're staring at 0 and 4. It's already their worst start in Big East play since 2009-2010, Bobby Gonzalez's last year. Now, the Pirates did finish 9-9 and that year, okay? But that still wasn't good enough to get to the NCAA tournament. We're not even thinking about that right now with this team. They're just trying to get one win before 2023 in the Big East Conference. So you talk about a must-win for both teams, all right? But just like St. John's came out ultra flat against Xavier, Seton Hall did the same thing against Marquette. Very similar. And you heard what I said about Sean Miller, how he credited his team. The reason why Xavier won that game against St. John's, Sean Miller said it, was 
how the team handled themselves and prepared during the Christmas break. Obviously, they had time off. What was Seton Hall doing during its time off at Christmas break? Because they came out as flat as flat could be. Shaheen Holloway screaming at his team in the huddle during the first time out. And he said, I don't know how we can start a game like this. Holloway was so furious at his team after the game, so disappointed in their performance at Marquette. He didn't even go to his radio spot with Dave Popkin. He sent Ryan Whalen, his assistant coach. I tweeted this during the game. Seton Hall looked lost. They looked disconnected and they looked disinterested defensively. Ryan Whalen said it in his post game with Dave Popkin. He said a lot of the times we were disconnected defensively. He used the same words. We were locked in on the wrong things. He said it will get better. It has to get better. But it was surprising, really surprising from a team that had done so well against Providence and Xavier on the road. We know Seton Hall is offensively challenged. They're the worst scoring team in the Big East. They're the second worst shooting team behind only DePaul. They're the worst three-point shooting team, the worst free throw shooting team. And they lead the league in turnovers at 15 and a half per game. From the free throw line, they're shooting 67% as a team. Compare that to Villanova, who's number one in the Big East at 84%. Think about that. Villanova hits better than eight of 10. Seton Hall barely, barely hits two of three or six out of 10. That's a huge difference. I don't care how many free throws you shoot. You're leaving way too many points out there when you miss 10, 11 free throws a game. So Seton Hall is offensively challenged. And if you think about it, they don't put themselves in a position to win offensively when you're the worst scoring team, the worst shooting team, and tops and turnovers. That's not going to win you many games. So what does that tell you? You have to play defense. Because if you don't, and you allow Marquette to shoot 54%, and you allow Marquette to score 83 points, there's no way in hell you're going to score 84. That's not what this team can do. It's not their DNA. So why did Seton Hall come out so flat, dig themselves a hole? Yeah, they fought back with a couple, with a couple of runs, but too many times in this game, uh, there were just too many easy buckets from Marquette. Now, if you go back to the Providence and Xavier games, those were one possession games. Seton Hall defended. They kept that game within reach. Either of those games could have gone Seton Hall's way. Remember, Seton Hall was down three in the final seconds. Al Dawes missed a good look from three that would have tied the game. And of course, the Xavier game, Seton Hall's down one with the ball. Kaderi Richmond driving down the lane, slips, gets called for travel. Who knows what could have happened if he got to the rim or was able to dish it. 
Seton Hall might have been up one. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. But my point is, is that those games came down to a final possession. The Marquette game was basically over with about 18 minutes to go. So this was not the same Seton Hall team, but the Pirates have shown what they're able to do. And it's clear to me, Dre Davis started this game, got off to a very slow start. Seton Hall picked things up. I think the score was 16 to five. And Defo came in, turned the game around. Trey Jackson hit a three. The bench got the Pirates back into this game. Jaquan Sanders made a big layup. Those players got the team back into the game. Now, Davis finished with a good game. He had double figures. But I still would like to see Indefo start. I think that's clear. Now, could Dre, could Dre Davis start over Femi Odukale? I've been saying that for weeks because I think he brings more height. I think he's the glue guy. But Shaheen Holloway seems to really love the way Femi Odukale defends. Uh, we know he's not a good shooter. We know he struggles at times to score offensively. Uh, but somehow Odukale just does a little bit of everything. So listen, you want to start? Davis over Odukale, I do, depending on the matchup. But either way, I think both of those guys bring value. And Defo has to start. But what's happening to Seton Hall's supposed shooters? Al Dawes is in a tremendous funk. And Jameer Harris, here's a guy who came to Seton Hall, known as one of the best three-point shooters in the country, shot nearly 50% from three at American, and his numbers have gone down and down to the point where he's lost out there. When the ball is released from Harris's hands, he's praying that it goes in. He's not expecting it to go in. It, it just is not coming off sharp. It's not coming off his hands with a lot of confidence. He looks rushed. He's shooting 22% from three this year. In three Big East games, he's two for 14. Now, what do shooters do? They need to shoot. But until Jameer Harris can prove he can do it in the game, can prove that he can do it in practice, you have to limit his minutes. I'm sorry. I don't think anyone, including Jameer Harris, has any confidence in him. And I hope that he gets it. I hope that he finds it. But until he does, he's hurting the Hall, not helping them. There are so many things Seton Hall needs to do. At the top of the list, Kaderi Richmond must play. He needs to play 35 minutes a game. He needs to bring his motor like he did against Providence and Kansas, going downhill, getting to the rim, using his height. It begins with him and Endefo. They need to take care of the ball. They need to get buckets and transition. They need to figure out the rotation. And they certainly need to get Alexis Yetna back in this rotation. He's still targeting January, but man, they could really use him against Creighton in January. So let's hope Alexis Yetna gets healthy very quickly. But this next game, St. John's, Seton Hall against New Year's Eve, look, it's not going to be for the faint of heart. 
it's not going to go on ESPN Classic as one of those games of the century. It's not a Picasso, okay? It's more like your, your kindergarten finger painting picture that mom had up on the refrigerator until you were, you know, in junior high, all right? That's what it's going to look like. A classic old school St. John's Seton Hall slugfest. So here are my keys for both teams. Three keys for St. John's. Number one, turnover Seton Hall. I already said they average 15 and a half turnovers a game. Score in transition. Turn this game into what we heard Mike Anderson say as he was mic'd up. Street fight. Because that that's what he wants, right? He wants a street fight. He wants helter-skelter. He wants chaos. Okay, so that's what St. John's needs to do. Feed Joel Soriano. He is a double-double machine. He leads the country with 11 double-doubles. Go at Tyrese Samuel. Use your height. Go at Casey and Defo because there's about a six-inch disparity there. Joel Soriano must be dominant. Get Tyrese Samuel into foul trouble because we've seen him in games like Iowa, like Providence, get into foul trouble and sit on the bench for long periods of time. That's two. Number three is rebound. St. John's is the top rebounding team in the Big East. They certainly did not show that against Xavier because Xavier manhandled them on the boards. Plus 12 in that game. So St. John's must rebound because second chance points could win this game. Now, my three keys for Seton Hall. First and foremost, dictate the pace, protect the ball. You can't let St. John's turn you over and get out on the break. Key number two, get out to a fast start. There should be 10,000 fans. They're expecting the lower bowl to be at or near capacity. Get the crowd into the game. Get out to a fast start. We saw what happened against Providence. The crowd was into it. Seton Hall led by nine at the half. And then the wheels fell off in the second half. But that first start gave them hope. Got the crowd into the game. And key number three, get looks for their three-point shooters. I mean, sooner or later, these three-point shots have to fall, right? Dawes, Jackson, Jameer Harris, Kaderi, whoever's shooting, get good looks, knock down your shots. Those are the keys. Look, you don't see many must-win games in December, but that's the position that both St. John's and Seton Hall have put themselves in. One of these teams is going to ring in the new year with happiness, and one is going to be left with a lot of sadness and a lot of questions for 2023. One game won't solve it all, but at least for one night, a victory could right the ship for one of these teams and head them trajecting in the right direction in 2023. It's been fun talking college basketball once again. My thanks to you for listening to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. Please share it with your friends, give us a review, spread the word, and please continue to support what I love and what you love is Tri-State College Basketball. Enjoy the games. We'll see you again in 2023. My name is Brian DiNovellis. So long.